Well, the deadline is fast approaching to reintroduce the wolf to Colorado. By the end of this year, gray wolves are supposed to be back in designated areas of the western slope. That is the mandate of Proposition 114, approved by state voters back in 2020. With a little over four months to go, will the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Agency be able to bring them back in time? One of the questions we'll put this morning to wolf advocate Mark Beckoff. Hello, I'm Sam Fuqua, and for the next 55 minutes, our topic is wolf reintroduction in Colorado. Mark Beckoff is a professor emeritus of ecology and evolutionary biology at CU Boulder. He's written over 30 books, including co-authoring a book entitled The Reign of Wolf 21, the saga of Yellowstone's legendary druid pack. Uh, He was a guest on this program back in January talking about the domestic relative of the wolf, the dog. Mark Beckoff, it's uh, good to have you back this morning to talk about the wild species, the gray wolf. Good morning. Thanks, Sam. It's great to be here. Well, we're going to open up the phones to listeners who have questions or comments about wolf reintroduction, and we'll also take emails. That's dj at kgnu.org, and we'll give the phone number in a in a few minutes. But let's uh, let's get to the the high level question: Why in why uh, bring the wolf back to Colorado? I mean, what is it about the wolf and the ecosystem of Colorado that merits reintroduction? Well, then they they were here <laughs> in many and in many other states before humans wiped them out. Um, and by humans, do we mean uh, white settlers? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, in, who, much. who occupy indigenous land? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know they're they're remarkable animals. I've, I did f- long-term field work on coyotes years ago in the Grand Teton National Park, but I've been to Yellowstone. I've gone out with Rick McIntyre, who actually wrote the book you mentioned, um, and I know the people up there. So they're, they're remarkable, sentient beings, if you will, highly social. And Rick and other people's research has shown that. Um, that they really are key components in the ecosystems in which they live. So they should be here. The problem is, like with other animals, when they're wiped out by humans, you know, we evolve culturally, ecosystems evolve absent wolves, and then when you bring them back, they will change the ecosystem. You know, it may not go back to what it was when they were here years ago, but they will change it. Um, you know, little Red Riding Hood syndrome, I call it. People are afraid of them. Um, they yeah. are predators, yeah. by the way. But I'd like to, I'm glad they're coming. I'm glad there's, you know, a move to bring them back. They belong here. But it also raises a whole lot of contentious issues, as yes. you know. Yes, and we'll get into those yeah. uh, over the course of the program. What change will wolf reintroduction make in the ecosystem and how will that impact uh, for example uh, rural Coloradans who Mm -hmm. make their living off the land well wolves are predators and you know people go you know duh tell me something I didn't know I mean they're they're predators and yeah they they like room service they like easy meals but they are really good predators and they can hunt you know on their own you know, they're going to have to fit into the wildlife communities in Colorado um, where they are p- dropped when they get here and where they roam. 
I mean, they're not going to stay in one place. You know, they will spread out where they can. So they're going to form, um, they're going to become parts of wildlife communities. They're going to become competitors with cougars and maybe bears, you know, other animals who also like to eat animals for their meals. Um, they're going to form, hopefully, <laughs> form cohesive packs over time. You know, a lot's going to just depend on how free they are to move around because, you know, if we place a certain number of wolves in different areas, they, they like, uh, many of them likely will meet, you know, and then hopefully form packs. Yeah, on that point about mm-hmm. placing them in different areas, can you uh, ex- elaborate on the mandate, the specific details uh, of Proposition 114? This was uh, the voter-approved... 2020 ballot measure that uh, got us to where we are today with the Colorado Parks and Wildlife on the verge of reintroducing wolves, uh, one hopes, I think, or the advocates of wolves hope, Mm -hmm. by the deadline set in that ballot question, which is the end of this year. What specifically does uh, Prop 114 say? Well, (coughs) the the end goal of it, of course, is bring wolves back and have them form sustainable populations. What's involved in that is a lot, if you will. So um, when they're brought back, they'll be held here, hopefully released as soon as possible. Um, they'll be on their own. You know, you, you hope they'll be on their uh, your, their own. And Meaning you know, there won't be any human, like, assistance or, like, we won't be putting out food for them or something? No. No, no, I hope not. No, they, no, they won't. They, they'll be on their own. So they'll have to find a place where they can feel safe. Um, they have to find a place where there's adequate food. And if they, like I said before, if they meet, and they will, they, they will meet other carnivores like cougars, for example. They're going to have to form some kind of agreements or not. In the state of Washington right now, it's not happening ramp, um, you know, rampantly, but cougars are killing wolves. You know, they're competitors, you know. And so your question raises so many important questions about wolf management. I mean, that's where it really goes. You know, some people are gung-ho about having wolves here. Some don't want wolves. Some are in the middle. I mean, I want wolves here, but I want live wolves here, and which means really satisfying the interests of very diverse views, very diverse groups of people. Well, to that point, I, mm-hmm. I know that 114 passed by, I think, less than 60,000 votes out mm-hmm. of out of 3 million votes cast in 2020. So uh, a narrow uh, line of approval. And, you know, I looked at the county-by-county county breakdown, and as you might imagine, uh, that measure was carried by Front Range counties mm-hmm. primarily, and a couple of ski town counties, whereas the rural counties were uh, almost uniformly opposed. Mm-hmm. So uh, now that's partly due to campaign messaging and what people believe, but I think it does indicate the um, the split amongst the humans in Colorado about this topic. Yeah, I mean, you know, so so pe- some people say, well, yeah, it's the people who live on the east slope of the Rockies who won't have the wolves in their backyard who want them. Um, I'm not sure that's totally true. Um, I've talked to some ranchers and farmers in the last few years 
who would love to have wolves here, but they're concerned about their own livelihoods. Um, they're concerned about the dangers that wolves might pose to local human populations. But yeah, I mean, it didn't pass by a lot, but it passed. And it's a state issue. You know, it's gone to the people, which I really like. I mean, people try to politicize it all, but it went to the people, if you will. So the mandate is we have wolves on the ground starting mid-December, and we form sustainable populations of these amazing beings. And there is a detail in 114 that uh, maybe you can uh, elaborate on it. Uh, allows for uh, a fund to be set up to compensate a rancher, say, who can show that a wolf killed one of his or her stock. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the uh, compensation can go up to $15,000 now. It started lower, and that was a move, as far as I understand, and wasn't part of the negotiations, to you know, assure people that if they lost some of their income via the animals who they raise, then they will be, you know, compensated. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a big move, yeah. actually. And do we compensate a rancher if a cougar takes one of their cows? I mean, or does that just happen less? Why isn't this same concern, at least to my hearing and reading, uh, not there for the you know, the cougar mm -hmm. as opposed to the wolf? Or, or am I reading that wrong? No, I don't know. I actually don't know that answer, to be honest with you. I mean, cougars, I don't, I don't they know. They seem to be doing fine. Yeah, cougars seem <laughs> to be doing fine. Well, they, but because they've been here, you know, we're not, we're not quote, re, reintroducing animals. We're, you know, when we use, the, we're repatriating a species. That's really what it is. You know, people go, we're reintroducing wolves. Well, none, none of the wolves who are going to come back to Colorado are being introduced, reintroduced as individuals. But it, it is a good question. I mean, you know, I think what happens is you've got the little Red Riding Hood syndrome. I mean, very, very few humans have ever been attacked by wolves. You know, at one point they were saying only two in hundreds of years, perhaps by rabid wolves. Um, but the stigma is that we're reintroducing or bringing back a predator who will add a lot of pressure, if you will, to the people who raise livestock. I mean, you know, one side issue, and, you know, I've been exposed to it is that, you know, people who raise cows and other animals to go to slaughterhouses are concerned about wolves killing their cows. And I'm not going to go there because I think in some ways it's a, it's a very interesting fact, but on the other hand, it's really not part of what will be the potential problem, and that is that wolves, once again, are predators, and they're going to need food. Yeah, and, the, and as you said a minute ago, there is, as part of Proposition 114, cash compensation for them if they can show that a wolf <coughs> ate one of their cows, right? Right. Yeah. And there's other ethical issues. You know, I mean, you're going to bring wolves back in and they are going to eat deer and moose and elk, you know, depending on who's living in their home range or territories. And you're exposing these animals to more predation than they would be exposed to, say, by then, by just cougars or, you know, black bears. We don't have grizzlies here. So, you know, there's just a whole lot of variables people are raising. And what I like about it, since I've studied these animals for a really long time, is it raises issues that a lot of people have never thought about. And it's not only good for the wolf project itself. 
I think it reconnects a lot of people, rewilds them, if you will, to what's actually going on out there while they're home in their living rooms, no matter where they're living. Mark Beckoff is our guest, Professor Emeritus from the University of Colorado uh, in Ecology and Evolutionary Biology. He's uh, talking about reintroducing the wolves to the state of Colorado, and the reason we're talking about this now is, uh, as you heard a minute ago, voters approved Proposition 114 in 2020. It set a, um, a deadline of the end of this year, 2023, to reintroduce wolves into the Rocky Mountain State in designated areas. Now, those are all on the western slope, Mark, right? As far as I know, yeah. Yeah. And uh, let me give the phone number. I think we can open up the phones now if you have a question or a comment about wolf reintroduction. We'd love to hear from you. 303-442-4242. That's 303-4242. And if you'd rather uh, use email, that's just dj, letter d, letter j, at kgnu.org. dj at kgnu.org. Or 303 303- Four four two forty two forty two. Tell us what you're thinking about wolf reintroduction, or if you have a question about it. Now, Mark, I know you've been following this closely. The development of the plan that Colorado Parks and Wildlife has been working on over the uh, intervening almost three years since uh, voters approved this, and you think they're going to make it by the end of December. Uh, and what are uh, some of the key? hurdles that still need to be uh, overcome as we, you know, like we said in the introduction, we're, you know, only about four months away from this deadline. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, once they're here, a key hurdle is going to be having them be accepted by people who don't want them. And, you know, there's a number of different ways that people can reduce wolf predation. One would be carcass cleanup, carcass removal. Explain that. And that it's basically removing sick and dead animals who you're rearing, you know, for someone else's meal or maybe your own. Um, so, you know, the wolves are gonna, going to be attracted to areas where these animals are. So carcass removal. And in a study that was done some 50 or so years ago in Canada, um, it was showed that farmers and ranchers who cleaned up carcasses suffered a lot less predation by coyotes. So that's <clears throat> that's one possibility. And, and that's interesting. So so that's it, it is not common practice amongst farmers and ranchers to 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 remove the carcass of a dead animal, or it practice varies. I think I th- I think um, since I was studying coyotes in Wyoming, you know, way back when, it varies. You know, but 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 it is simple. You know, another one would be educate. Education is key. You know, educating people, um, both those who want wolves here and those who don't. But you know, a lot of there's just a lot of practical on the ground um, issues, and I don't mean issues in a bad way that need to be considered. Is you know, where are the wolves coming from? How are they going to be captured and brought here? And how are they going to be released? Um, what kind of management will there be? You know, there's a 10J rule that we're hoping, and people are in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say let's yeah. get let's get into the 10J rule, yeah. but um, I want to go back to one thing you just said, which mm-hmm. is uh, we have to, you know, we have to get them first, mm-hmm. and that's been maybe a little bit of a challenge as we've asked some neighboring states, could we? Uh, you know, have some of the wolves in your state and move them to Colorado as part of our reintroduction mandate. Uh, Idaho has formally said no. 
Montana and Wyoming also know. So uh, we're talking to a couple of other states where they have wolves, Washington and Oregon. But at least as of last week, there was no formal agreement yet. We don't know where we're getting our wolves from. Right. And as of right now, there's still no formal agreement, although you know people are optimistic that one or both of those states will come through. Exactly. And, you know, once again, I was saying, you know, people say to me, you know, well, you're raising all these ethical questions. You're raising all these issues about potential conflict. You don't want wolves here. Yeah, I do want wolves here, but I want live wolves here. And so some of the on the ground things with um, issues would be where are they coming from? How are they going to be transferred here? When will they be released? Where will they be released? Um, And what's going to happen when they first hit the ground? It's they're, you know, unless food were provisioned for them, which it isn't going to be, you know, they are going to move. But one big question that I've always raised, and I think it's a really important one, there's been research over the last year <clears throat> based on 25 years of accumulated data from Yellowstone that when the leader of a wolf pack is killed, the wolf pack itself can destabilize and just basically um, disappear. And so the reason I ask that is we're going to take wolves from one area and bring them here. And a question that I asked decades ago is what happens to the wolves from which, you know, the area from which they're taken and no one knows. So the reason I raise that, it's an interesting um, issue, um, kind of like robbing Peter to pay Paul. Right. right? So if we were to take a pack leader from a a a pack of wolves Mm -hmm. in Washington, uh, maybe that's great. We get a a wolf in Colorado, but we've destroyed a pack in Washington, or dispersed a pack anyway, and the implications of that are potentially negative for the rest of the wolves. Right. I mean, what what really I'm happy about, without going into details, is a lot of the people uh, working on the wolf project now and for the last few months know the science, and they're aware of these issues. Um, before that, I don't think um, that was the case. We're with Mark Beckoff talking about wolf reintroduction in Colorado. Let's take a call. Jonathan in Boulder. Good morning. You're on the air. Good morning. Yeah, well, you just started to answer my question. I was wondering, where do the wolves come from? Do you take a whole pack from one place to another? Or do you take individuals from different places? And then how do they relate? It just seems like, yeah, it's a very complicated thing. But um, are we actually making the situation better that we, like we're trying to? Yeah, that's Thanks, a great, Jonathan. That's a great question, Jonathan. Um, it's as far as I can see now, entire packs will not be removed. It'll be select individuals. And what I'm pleased about um, is that a lot of people now who are working on the project are aware of the latest research. And hopefully if they take individuals from a pack, they won't be taking individuals who will then, whose removal will then lead to the decimation of that pack. And I I really like your question because these wolves are going to have to get together and form groups. They they can and they will, but um, they're not going to come as a cohesive pack. Jonathan, thanks for your call. That's a great question. We're at 303-442-4242, 303-442-4242, or email dj at kgnu.org. 
You are in tune with listener-supported KGNU-FM 88.5 Boulder, KGNU-1390 Denver, and we're talking about reintroducing wolves to Colorado per the voter-approved mandate of Proposition 114. The deadline is the end of this year. And, uh, Mark Beckoff, how many wolves are we talking about? I don't know what the speci- if there was a specific number in Prop 114, but are we looking to uh, introduce... A dozen wolves, a hundred wolves. I don't remember the numbers offhand, but the number fifty, you know, um, sticks out to me. I mean, ultimately, it's going to be hard to know what's going to happen until the wolves are on the ground. So the absolute number is important. But you know, imagine that the wolves arrive here, and people go out and shoot them. Some might. Then that's going to be a major problem for the development of sustainable packs and populations. So the wolves do need to be protected and be given the opportunity to form functioning packs. Will they all be uh, have a thing like in their ear or somewhere that allows us to track them? I don't know how that works, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, they'll be tra- they'll be collared or have transmitters, or at least at least oftentimes once a group forms, even maybe before it's a cohesive pack, one animal will be collared and have a transmitter. But yeah, it's going to be really important for following them, and the technology now is it's pretty simple. Yeah. You know, you can follow them, you can tell whether they're walking or running or uh, there are transmitters that basically tell you when an individual has died. Three zero three four four two four two four two is our number. Let's hear from Lynn. Hi, Lynn. You're on the air. Hi. Um, what if we just domesticated the rest of the wolves? I see dogs all the time desperate to get away from their owners to join with other dogs to be a pet. I uh, don't understand how. How I mean, we haven't domesticated elephants or other things. How how did this? I'm just confused. Well, let's get uh, Mark Beckoff to respond to that. Thanks for the the question, Lynn. I think around the uh, the domestic dog, and perhaps as Lynn is saying, they should never have been domesticated, or they um, should be returned to their wild <laughs> places. Well, well, domestication is a long term evolutionary process in and of itself. I mean, we selectively bred different characteristics, both, you know, aesthetic, what the animals look like, and behavioral characteristics. A lot of people, though, and it is an important point that Lynn's raising, a lot of people conflate domestication with socialization. So I've been around wolves who like humans. They're not domesticated, they're socialized. And that's a huge uh, point to note. Because people will say, oh, I met a domesticated wolf. A domesticated wolf is a dog. You've met a socialized wolf. But in order to, to get domesticated animals from wolves, it's a long-time evolutionary process um, of selective breeding. There are changes in the morphology of the animals, their behavior, and some of the genetics. But one of the things that is important to me, because I study dogs a lot, is that current dogs still have wolf genes and wolf engrams in their brains. They still have a lot of wolf brain material up there. But these animals who come in, we don't want them socialized. We want them to avoid humans. And we want them to avoid, you know, where humans work and, say, raise animals or have kids. Um, so... 
it's another, you know, it's just another issue. And that's why I started saying before that education is key. Do I think coexistence is possible? I do. Even among people who really don't want wolves or hate wolves, I think they, we can coexist, but it's going to be give and take on the part of everyone. You know, this is not the first time wolves have been reintroduced in the U.S. There was a an effort, I think, in the late 90s to reintroduce a different species, the Mexican wolf, mm -hmm. uh, into Arizona mm -hmm. and New Mexico. So how's that going, and what happens if the Mexican wolf... Uh, you know, ranges north and meets these reintroduced gray wolves that we've just put back into, say, southwestern Colorado? Are there potential issues there? Well, they might interbreed. I mean, I mean, I, I, I surely can't you know, tell. I mean, they can, you know, genetically they can produce fertile offspring. And so can dogs and wolves. And so can wolves and coyotes. And so can dogs and coyotes. Um, we don't know. I mean, we really don't know. So from a biological scientific point of view, that's a fascinating aspect of the project in and of itself. But, you know, um, the Mexican wolf project has certainly has not been uncontroversial, you know. And, and once again, that leads back to this 10J rule, which gives, if you will, loosely interpreted more local control. Yeah, let's explain that because you brought it up a couple times. Yeah. 10J is just some, you know, bureaucratic designation of a rule that governs what federal wi wildlife regulations. Yeah, I mean, my understanding of it is that it gives more local control, meaning local state control. So, um, the absence of um, 10J means that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is the only agency that has the authority to respond to wolf management. And the problem there is that could involve lethal management. Mm. So one of the big things I think we're going to be facing is going to be having, getting lethal management, if you will, off the table, you know, and, and you know, once and for all, for, for a lot of reasons, if you will. But one being that we bring the wolves here and we kill them, that could destabilize their groups. I mean, they're... It's like there's a domino effect there. So if this uh, 10J rule goes into effect for Colorado, it would be it would allow what state level control uh, and and yeah, that's know, what therefore. I mean by more yeah. local control. Yeah. yeah, but but something that's really important is um, there was a problem with a Mexican gray wolf pack in um, in New Mexico, and because they didn't have a gen 10J rule. The uh, people went in and basically killed the wolves because they were supposedly responsible for preying on livestock. It turned out they weren't. So, if you will, you know, the feds come in, they kill the wolves, and then it was discovered that it wasn't the wolves who were killing the, the depredation of the livestock. <laughs> we're at 303-442-4242 if you'd like to join our conversation with Mark Beckoff. We're talking about wolf reintroduction in Colorado this morning. Casey in Aurora, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I kind of have a two-part question. So, can you speak I up a bit, Casey? How... Speak up a little bit. Sorry, sir. Yeah, if you could speak a little bit louder. Thanks. Of course. So, I kind of had a two-part question. I was curious how maybe the larger game that is in Colorado might affect the hunting habits and survivability of the wolves, as well as the idea that as farmers and ranchers are being pushed out of the mountains and you know, the millionaires and billionaires are moving in. 
would there be legislation to open up some of those fences that were prior used to hold livestock in and uh, keep predators out to allow, you know, the ultimate problem of wildlife and fences to be relieved and let these animals move about the mountain ranges freely, more freely? Yeah, that's a great question. I can't answer the second one um, at all, really, frankly. But uh, repeat your first question, would you, Casey? Of course. Um, my first question was just more so how the larger game of Colorado might affect uh, hunting patterns and the survivability of those larger wolves um, and, yeah, their overall ability to continue their existence against larger game, larger animals that might fight back a little bit more. Or... Right. Well, if I'm, if I'm hearing you right, I mean, and that's a great question, the wolves are definitely going to change the travel patterns of their favorite meals, you know, like maybe moose and elk and deer. You know, wolves will also eat bunnies and other smaller animals. So it's going to be a, um, sort of a reciprocal change. The wolves will change their behavior. Their behavior, when it changes, will then feed back and change the behavior of the wolves. And there was one, um, a couple months ago, I heard that somebody was concerned that um, it's possible that the wolves coming here would change the travel patterns of say, the large ungulates who people like to hunt. And yeah, of course they will. I mean, because these animals don't want to be hunted. So, you know, buried in there is a phenomenal opportunity to learn more about how the, lo how the presence of a new predator influences the behavior, including the movement patterns of their prey animals. So, does that help you along? Of course, yeah, yeah. Great. That's a great question. Thank you, Casey. Thanks, Casey. 303-442-4242 is the number to call to join the conversation. Talking about wolf reintroduction in Colorado. And uh, I don't know, Mark, uh, as you've been following the issue, uh, where the uh, the hunting advocates, as we might call them, have come down on this. Because, you know, the, the wolves, as you said, are competition for those who hunt elk mm -hmm. and deer. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I've talked to some who just accept it that it's it's good for Colorado to bring back, say, a native species, and some who just say they don't like it. Um, but one thing I'll say about that last case, um, last question from Casey, which I alluded to before, is the idea of bringing wolves back and the fact that they likely will be back is going to reconnect people more to nature, which is wonderful. And, you know, the question Casey asked is a really good one because it's going to make people think more about predator-prey dynamics out in the wild. It's going to rewild people. I really believe that, regardless of what side of the coin they're on, which is really good because Colorado is such an amazing state we have a wonderful new um, chief and leader, a director of Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And just thinking about these issues should reconnect people to our beautiful animals and our beautiful landscapes. Let's hear from Marty in Boulder now. Hi, Marty. You're on the air. What's your question or comment? Uh, yeah. Hi. I um, Last week I heard a, a, a brief on another program, uh, a brief explanation of exactly uh, why it's positive to have the um, the wolves reintroduced in terms of like uh, the biology and the balance of nature and um, you know the ecological um, 
framework of it all. And uh, I think that would be really instructive for people to hear. I'd like to hear that again if your if your guest knows that. Like, it got really granular about what species and what balances would benefit from the wolves being here. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was trying to allude to before. It's a great question. I mean, definitely the presence of wolves, once again, is going to affect the behavior of their competitors, say cougars, bears. It's going to affect the behavior of the animals who they hunt. And it's going to be reciprocal. And it's going to be dynamic. I mean, from from my point of view, having done field work on these animals, is how we're going to learn how the presence of a predator changes all the dynamics. Um, and I think that's a fascinating topic in and of itself. And even people I've talked to who are against having wolves here, when they stopped and thought about it, they thought, yeah, this would be a great learning experiment. Well, the other program, they already knew that and they explained that. That's what I was hoping to hear. They, they already knew yeah, like what what animals get affected and how and what balance what what's out of balance now and how it would be back in balance, uh, not only uh, animals but also flora and fauna. So I just wondered if you if you know that, can you tell us that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a moving. When I say target, I don't mean target in a bad way, but there, I don't think there is one answer, and we really don't know because when the wolves went back into Yellowstone, Yellowstone's a national park where they were protected here they're not going to be protected and even if even if lethal management is taken off the table they are going to confront more urban areas you know when the wolves move so i don't think there is an answer but definitely the presence of wolves will affect the behavior of cougars bears and the animals who they eat let me uh, just to follow on marty's yeah. line of questioning does the reintroduction of the Mexican wolf in Arizona and New Mexico offer any lessons? Um, I'm not sure about the details down there because okay. I don't know the animals with whom they're competing. Well, let's, thanks, Marty, for your questions. Let's go back to the phones. Jenny in Longmont, it's your turn. Hi, you're on the air. Hi. Yeah, I, I voted against the um, measure, whatever it was, the number, um, just because I really didn't understand it, and I've I typically don't vote for things that I don't really understand. And um, I thought people that really follow the uh, situation should make those choices. But what I've seen um, is stories on the news where people's dog is gotten killed or their, you know, their family member, and it's so tragic and it's heart-wrenching. And um, also um, uh, young calves and things like that. And so it seems to me that maybe the wolves are just you know, um, they're not real, you know, they're going after the easy things, and those tend to be pets and, and young calves. That's kind of what I've seen on the news, and I'm just wondering uh, if you can comment on that. And, I mean, obviously I can't, I don't imagine it doesn't feel good about that, but um, yeah. just wonder if you can comment. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna no, no, um, you're raising some really important issues. I think the predation by wolves on dogs will be minimal, I mean, it's tragic, and I totally agree with you. Um, there were the case of a lot of cows being um, found dead in northwest Colorado, and there are still people who say that the wolves were responsible for killing 50 or so cows. But 
Wolves that were coming over from Wyoming or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Wolves who, who'd come over from Wyoming, right. They certainly weren't reintroduced wolves. But, you know, the data show that they've done necropsies on the cows that the wolves may have been responsible for the death of a few cows, but certainly not for all 50. But the question you're raising is really a very good one also in terms of PR. I mean, it's just really easy to blame wolves for killing cows and other animals when they really don't know. And and the language in a lot of these articles is the alleged wolves, you know, killers or something like that. But you are raising important issues that need to be openly discussed. But there are non-lethal management um, protocols like using flagging, and having range riders, for example, making noise to keep uh, wolves away from animals who they would kill. I mean, I mean, in particular, I'm talking about people who are raising animals, not the, not the wild animals. Wol- uh, wolves are predators, and they will kill wild animals. So uh, say a little bit more about what is being done to work with farmers and ranchers on these uh, uh, methods that are designed to keep the wolves away from their their livestock. Well, you said flagging. I don't know what that is. Well, putting flags up that wave in the breeze and make noise or, you know, different colors. Um, Fladry, which are flags, uh, range riders, if you will, people who go out and, you know, make it difficult for the wolves to get around um, livestock. And like I said before, carcass removal, you know, maybe building or uh, um, rebuilding fences, for example. So... Um, my firsthand experience with this is not with wolves, but with coyotes who I studied in Wyoming, where, um, yeah, there were people who hated coyotes and they went out and tried to shoot them. They wondered why we were studying the animals. But like I said, you know, there are things that people can do to reduce uh, predation on livestock. I don't like the word livestock, to be honest with you, but, you know, on, on potential food animals, if you will. And I'm fully aware that a lot of these people will could suffer economic losses, but now it's up to $15,000 that they will be repaid per the loss of one animal. Um, of course, I would like to see the loss of none of those animals. And so too would a lot of the people who want wolves back in Colorado. Let's let's be clear on that. A little bit of a side note, but since you have researched uh, coyotes, uh, they have adapted to human settlement uh, in a way that wolves haven't. Is it just because they're smaller, or why why did they figure out and and, uh, proliferate as opposed to uh, the wolf? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Yeah, I mean, coyotes are about the most adaptable mammal in the world. Um, jackals in Africa, some of the jackals who are sort of relatives of coyotes also. Yeah, I mean, part of it is because they're smaller and they eat smaller animals and they um, can hunt more on, on their own. And um, But, you know, don't kid yourself. Coyotes are shot regularly, but we just we don't hear about it because they're not endangered and they're common. So, um, But it's a good question. So uh, the the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commissioner said at a meeting last week uh, that it's all hands on deck at the agency to get this done by the the deadline set in Proposition 114, the end of this year. 
Uh, we've talked about some of the challenges with finding uh, wolves to reintroduce. Uh, what are some of the other issues that are sort of a, a need to be overcome or that really need to be gotten through fairly quickly here as we as we approach the end of the year? And and what what can you share with us? Because I know you've been involved, you've had conversations at at very high levels with uh, state officials who who are working on this. Well, like I said before, I mean, the on-the-ground practical plans, you know, where the wolves are going to come from, how they're going to be captured, how they're going to be transported, um, what's going to happen to them when they get here. Are there security issues? You know, some people are worried about the fact that people who don't want wolves here, you know, might try to harm the wolves who come. And, and, And if that happens, I hate to say it, and I'm not letting the cat out of the bag, if you will, but... You know, if we bring back a handful of wolves at first on the way to getting sustainable population, then that basically shuts the project down. And, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, it, I mean, we need to give the wolves, the pioneering wolves who are brought here, a chance to form groups and to reproduce, have children, and form workable packs. So that's huge. So what are you saying there, that, that the initial group that's introduced, small group of reintroduced wolves, may be, uh, what, actively hunted by opponents? Is that? Oh, I have no data on that. Okay. But it's, it's something that I would be concerned about, you know, the security issues. So I know there's a move, um, and I don't know what it's based on totally, is to bring them here and release them as soon as possible, which, which is a great idea because the, they're going to be stressed by being, you know, captured, transported, and held here. Let's go back to the phones and hear from Jillian. Hi, Jillian. You're on the air. Was that me? That's you. It's your turn. What's your question yeah, or comment? Yeah, great show. Um, and yeah, I'm, a couple things. I too voted for this, but now I'm having second thoughts by listening how difficult it is to find the wolves, and and particularly this program because it's illuminating. Are you saying, Mr. Beckoff, that these, these, there's no protection like the, the wolves are uh, afforded in national parks? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, the wolves in Yellowstone, you know, in the park are, you know, were and are protected. Yeah. Right. Um, and Colorado is quite different from Yellowstone. So my take, you know, and others may disagree, is it's just going to take a lot more acceptance um, of the wolves being around, including, you know, by people who don't want them around. And that's why I just keep coming back to the importance of education. Sure. And, I have, yeah, go I ahead. Have, I have one more question. Uh, the, the earlier caller talking about how the billionaires are moving into the, where ranchers once were, you know, very real in the West. And, I, and it, it brings to my mind, you know, the interaction that humans have with bears, particularly Mm -hmm. all around the state of Colorado. You know, a bear is a super wild animal, you know, right up there with the mountain lion. And, uh, you know, because of the garbage and things like that, the easy pickings, right? Um, And there's no answer uh, other than ultimately euthanizing these bears that are, you know, repeat offenders. And I just don't see, you know, a wolf that, you know, moves about whose territory, you know, is so expansive how we're not going to see that problem with these wolves. Yeah, I mean, I think it will be a problem, but, you know, there are answers, like, you know, with the bears using bear-proof garbage cans and actually using them when they are provided. Um, And like I said, getting back to cleaning up carcasses. So 
there are ways to reduce predation and there are ways to um, reduce the likelihood that, say, a wolf or a bear, in this case, um, would become a nuisance and or a danger. But people are going to have to employ them very actively. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, so you're, ra- you're raising really important issues. So, you know, the repeat message here is, is basically when they're here, we're going to have to respect who they are, how they live, how they want to live. And work with them. And I, I don't mean that lightly. We're going to have to work with the animals when they're here. Jillian, so thank much. you for your yes. call. Thank you, Jillian. 303-442-4242 is our number, 303-442-4242, or you can email dj at kgnu.org. You know, the point about um, the fact that there are fewer uh, working ranches in Colorado and you know, if I go up to North Park, you know, a bunch of super rich guys bought those spreads. And are they better stewards than the working rancher? Uh, are, are the wolves going to be faring better under that scenario than a working ranch? I guess it, it kind of depends on, on the people and the decisions they've made. But I don't know if you have any comment on that. Yeah, I'm, I am I don't have any comment on it, but there's a new program developing and a new center at CSU on human-animal interactions, and that could be a question. I think it's an important question, especially because we really want to know how, in this case, wolves will be accepted in communities that are different socioeconomically, in which the people have different goals. You know, they may have a big house and they want their house and their area to be safe and they're not trying to raise food animals. But it is a good question. And I don't know that, um, I don't know if there are any sound answers, but once again, this project may help produce data to answer those questions. Worthy of study. Uh, that's Mark Beckoff, who is a professor emeritus of evolutionary, uh, sorry, I want to get that right, Mark. Uh, yep. Ecology and Evolutionary Biology. He's written a lot of books, including one he co-authored called The Reign of Wolf 21, the saga of Yellowstone's legendary druid pack. He is an advocate for wolf reintroduction, and that is our topic this morning on listener-supported KGNU. Uh, We might be able to squeeze in another call or two at 303-442-4242. Yeah, the only thing I want to say is I did not co-author that book. I actually oh. reviewed it. Oh, sorry. No, I just want to be sorry clear because Rick's a really good friend. But no, no, no. Uh, Rick McIntyre, if you want to learn about wolves, he wrote four popular books over the last four years. Every single one is worth reading. He is the expert. On wolf reintroduction. Okay, that's Rick McIntyre. Yes. Gotcha. Uh, let's see. We're going we're gonna to go back to the phones now. Again, the number is... 303-442-4242. George in Lafayette, good morning. You're on the air. Hey, folks. Um, yeah, so I had a question. You, you've mentioned a couple of times um, wolves kind of being falsely accused of some attacks on livestock. Could you elaborate on that? And, wh- you know, how was that determined that they, in fact, weren't um, the culprits and um you know, in that case, if it was a predatory attack, you know, then, then wh- who was and how does that process exactly happen? Sort of that investigation of is was it wolves or not, if it's not certain. Good question, George. Mark Bagoff? 
Yeah. Um, what they basically do is necropsies. You know, they call them autopsies for humans and necropsies for non-humans. I've never understood that, to be honest. But, you know, you can look at bite pattern. You could look at, you know, it's, it's gory stuff. You know, it's like, you know, doing autopsies on humans. You could look at bite patterns. Um, you could look at the condition of the fur. Uh, you could look at where the bites are. You know, are they on, are they on the neck or are they on the rump? And the case I was talking about is um, where, once again, in northwest Colorado, wolves who came over the border supposedly killed 50 or so cows. And based on the necropsies and just people who, you know, were around to observe what was happening, um, it was clear the wolves themselves were not responsible for near 50 um, kills. So that that's how they do it. Does that answer your question, George? Um, yeah. Yep, that, that sounds great. Thank you. Appreciate yeah, it's an important question because... We need to give um, we need to give the wolves a fair chance to survive if we're going to bring them here, and knowing who killed who, if you will, is important. Let's hear from John in Boulder. Hi, John. You're on the air. Yes. Good morning. So I, I I've been following this topic since the bill was proposed, and one thing I haven't really heard much of, and I guess this leads to my question, is what is the government doing to a provide positive PR? on behalf of the wolves. And what I mean by that, excuse me, is educating people on the necessity and the actual ways that we as humans can, can kind of compromise and coexist with the wolves. And is there any, um, anything attached to this bill or measure that also kind of, I mean, I hate to bring the money part into it, but it's, it's real, you know, to just help people financially Except, yes, there may be a cap that's lost, you know, just like if there's a cold winter, you know, you're going to lose some cattle. If it's a, if it's a hot, dry summer, you're going to lose some cattle um, to help monetize, you know, and, and incentivize people uh, in that way um, to, to accept and kind of help out the introduced uh, wolf population. Thanks for those questions, John. They're, they're, they're great questions. Yeah, like I said before, there is compensation for the loss of cattle, I believe, but it could be other animals, up to $15,000 per individual. And there are incredibly active education um, um, plans throughout the state and people on the ground now um, trying to educate people, especially perhaps those who will live where wolves may be. So it's a good question, but um, there are a lot of people out on the ground right now educating people um, and hoping to foster coexistence, which is critical in order to have a viable, sustainable population of wolves. Mm-hmm. So, Mark Beckhoff, let's project uh, a year from now. We've we've reintroduced some wolves. Uh, we've we've found some, presumably from Oregon or Washington, and we've. We've selected properly to not negatively impact those packs. Uh, what do you think? Uh, what do you think it will look like? Say, if we're, if we're having this conversation uh, a year from now, what do you hope it will look like? Well, what it may look like and what I hope <laughs> may be different, but it may not be. I mean, I would hope that the wolves who were brought here would form functional packs, and there's no reason to think that they might not. It may not be as easy as some people thinks. Um, 
And, you know, if they're bought, brought here, um, they tend to breed, give or take, February, March, have their babies, their children, you know, May, June, you know, 63 or so days later. That's possible. But it also might be the case that these animals are stressed from being moved and being, you know, brought to a new environment, as your dog might be. I mean, using dogs as an example is a, is a very good one, you know. Um, they tend to be what we call in um, science philopatric, and they tend to like the areas where they were born and or where they've lived for a while. But in the best of all possible worlds, I would like to think there might be developing functioning packs, and there might be some mating. But a lot of it's just going to depend on the on-the-ground conditions the wolves face when they get here and when they move freely on their own. And how they move is going to be affected by the location of homes, you know, rural or not, and where the prey are. And the prey are not their 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 meals are not going to hang around waiting for the wolves to attack them. So that's what I said before. I mean, it's a really dynamic situation. We'll learn a lot, and I can only hope for the best for for everyone, all the humans and all the wolves and all the meals. You know, your your statement brought up a question that I hadn't thought of, but uh, let's assume that the reintroduced wolves do have some puppies. Uh, Do we collar those puppies immediately, or how does that work? Is it our goal to have a collar on every one of these so that we, we know where they're moving or, or if they die? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there will be attempts to collar or mark them because we need to know where they're going and why. I mean, because that'll give us a hint for the viability, if you will, of future wolves here. You know, where are they going, why they're going, uh, what food they're they're searching for i mean wolves try to avoid us but it it may be difficult so um once again i think it's a work in progress but yeah following following the animals is critical because then we can answer questions about did a wolf do this did a wolf do that or was it a wolf and not a large dog people confuse wolves and large dogs especially huskies a lot so yeah it's it's an exciting it's an exciting time for wolf researchers, researchers for sure. And we'll be following the uh, reintroduction of the wolf in Colorado here on KGNU. Mark Beckoff, who is a professor emeritus of ecology and evolutionary biology at CU Boulder, our guest this morning. Thank you so much, Mark. Always good to talk with you. Yeah, thanks. And thanks for the great questions. This is a phenomenally interesting time. Thanks to the callers. Thanks uh, for handling the phones. Jackie, here on Listener Supported, KGNU.